Ron Swanson. The head honchos down at LFP Worldwide Headquarters have asked me to read the following prepared statement. Apparently, no one else answered their phones. Suffice to say, lesson learned. Next time, I will have their number marked in my contacts list as spam. Ugh. The statement reads as follows. Uh, let's see. Hello, live from Pawnee Podcast viewers. Uh, uh, Mark and Alan are off this week. Uh, both attending to important family and podcast business. It, <laughs> sure they are. Um, while they're out, uh, we're happy to offer a timely season two episode celebrating the true spirit of friendship for your revisiting pleasure. So, no matter whether you celebrated Valentine's Day or possibly Galentine's Day or both this week, Mark and Alan and all of us here at LFP Worldwide Headquarters hope you're having a terrific week. Look forward to returning with a new episode again next week. Until then, please enjoy our coverage of Season 2, Episode 16, Galentine's Day. <sighs> Thus ends that prepared statement. Please remember these are not my words and or opinions, like-minded or otherwise. They are polite ramblings of my corporate overlord. So, please listen to the following program. Or, don't. It matters not to me. Thank you. That is all. Hi, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Live from Pawnee. I'm Alan, and with me, as always, is my co-host, Mark. Mark, how are you on this fine day? Alan, I am so good. I am so good. I am ready for the most romantic of all holidays, Galentine's Day. Very huh? nice. Very nice. It, yeah. It's a, it's a little weird for us. We, we kind of didn't get our scheduling quite right. I love that NBC actually got this episode to actually be in February of the year they aired it. Brilliant. Um, us, eh, not so much. Yeah, we need to work on our timing. I agree. Yeah, well, w many people have, uh, the viewers have written in and told us that. So yeah, that and I, our charisma. Yeah, I blame Constantine. I do too. You know, he, it's his onion breath, really. I've, I've spoken to him about <laughs> it. I don't know what else to do. Yeah, Listerine, I don't know. <laughs> we'll see if that helps. I don't know. Maybe. Yeah, maybe. Well, this is episode 16 of season two, Galentine's mm -hmm. Day, as Mark pointed out. This first aired on February 11th of 2010. This episode was directed by Ken Quapis and was written by Katie Dipold. Nice. Uh, we've talked about Katie a few times in the past. I think she she wrote maybe about 11 of these episodes. Ken Quapis, this is the one and only episode that he actually directed of Parks and Recreation, which I was a little surprised by. He's uh, got a deep bench at the office, and I was a little surprised that he wasn't a little more involved in this show, given that he did some really amazing episodes over at the office. Yeah, me too. Good point. Yeah, but nonetheless, uh, two excellent pros here. And uh, Mark, you want to hit us with a little bit of a episode summary and a synopsis? No, Alan, Alan, you, I, I know, <laughs> I know that you're, I said you're it all really wrong. good. No, you just look, the, the, the viewers are going to complain if we don't get the, you know, the, the, the English, yeah. uh, uh, you know, yeah. stuff Synopsis right there. Synopsis, the, the, oh, the emphasis yeah, is right. on the, on the C's. 
Um, <clears throat> so like a flock of synopsis. <laughs> that's right. The, this was actually really tough because, um, and I know you're going to tell me how I screwed up here. Yeah, I, 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 I tried to make like 17 or 18 different stories because I know you love that. So here's really what ended up. I, I knew that there was an obvious one that kind of stands on its own. And then we have a lot of arguably like uh, romantic relationship interactions, subplots. And I wasn't sure how to handle those. I thought about giving them their own stories. And what I ended up doing is kind of glomming them together into a second story because they had a consistent theme. So okay. what I ended up doing is so the a story I called the one that got away. Uh, motivated by a romantic Valentine's Day story from Marlene, Leslie's mom, about Frank, the one that got away. Justin is driven to find Frank and reunite him and Marlene. And at first, Leslie is on board, but grows increasingly uncertain as they discover more about Frank, while Justin continues to be excited about the story. Will Leslie go through with the reunion? Is Frank nuttier than a jar of peanuts? Do these two old lovers pick up where they left off? Stay tuned and find out, dot, dot, dot. All right. Very nice. Totally that's, agree there. Yeah, that's the A story. Yeah, so it's hard to argue with that. Here's where things get a little shaky. All right. So I had the B story as adventures at the senior center. And here's here's the, the challenge. I don't feel like the senior center as a story, per se, had a lot of meat behind it. But everything happened within those confines. I kind of feel like it was a box in which everything occurred. So that's why I'm kind of calling it that it's kind of like the 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 showdown the place they're going to have the showdown in the old western you know it's the the main street running through the town with the tumbleweeds you know everything all the action is going to wind up there later but beyond that eh. yeah it's like showdown at the okay golden corral <laughs> very good huh? Ah, huh? you know what we're done for today thanks yep. everybody for listening thank you good night Okay, um, so here's what I had. Um, first, I should have called that my title. That was damn <laughs> good. In fact, down. that's my AKA. That's so weird. <laughs> All right. So here's what I put down. The Parks Department is overseeing the Senior Center's Valentine's Day dance. So Leslie has the gang pitching in to help in any way they can. And this includes uh, Andy and his band Mouse Rat playing the gig. Uh, during this episode, we see several relationship interactions, all which seem to culminate at the Senior Center dance, which is the showdown at the OK Golden Corral, including Tom and Wendy. So Tom tries to tell Wendy how he feels. She rejects him. He tries to blackmail her with an alimony lawsuit. What will happen? Who knows? Uh, Ann and Mark, uh, they, they're celebrating their first Valentine's Day together. Mark's very demonstrative. Ann's kind of meh. And then we also have some other subplots involving our favorite thruple, April and Derek and Ben. Sure. Uh, what's going to happen with Leslie and Justin and maybe a few others that I don't really want to give away yet. So uh, I'll just leave it at that. Uh, dot, dot, dot. I like it. I think that's fair. I mean, because like you said, there if you were willing to put this in smaller slices, I think you could argue that there are more subplots. But Eh, you're right. I mean, there's basically the main story and a bunch of other things that happen. Yeah. Right. The the road trip and other stuff. Other stuff. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. Well, excellent synopsis as always. All right. Well, Mark, should we move into our AKAs? Absolutely. Absolutely. Who do you want to go first? first? I want I want to give a I want to give a little bit of a shout out. We we got some feedback on the internets, and one of them was that someone who liked the show said that they thought at one point we might have been using too many AKAs. And no. we agree. 
We've oh, yeah, changed we that up. Yeah. So so thank you. Thank you, viewer, for pointing that out. We totally agree with you. Um, and we, we, we are always doing small things to fine tune the show to make it more uh, more gooder. Yeah, well, they're, they're not viewers, but I agree with you. Yeah, well, whatever. Yeah, OK, you're welcome, viewers. <laughs> well, what do you got on the uh, the AKAs, Mark? Well, I, I have a, a single AKA now that that uh, no, I, <laughs> I, I, I had one AKA um, and it's one that um, I heard from Leslie as they were on their way to meet Frank and she and Justin are talking about what ifs. Well, what if this happens? What if this happens in the car? And at one point she's speculating on nicknames that she might call uh, ah. Frank if for some reason things went really well and he ended up marrying his her mom and becoming her her stepdad. And it's like, would I call him dad? And she came up with all these nicknames. And finally she said, and this is my AKA, I'm going to call him Poopaw. <laughs> that just cracked me up. Oh, that's great. What you got? I hadn't heard Poopaw before. I was familiar with Pawpaw, Papaw. I mean, most of the variants you hear here in the Midwest, Poopaw was a new one for me. Yeah, me too. Yeah. I, I think I'm going to leave that one to the Parks and Rec universe. Fair enough. Um, okay. So I had, I had two, I picked, I tried to pick one from the A story and the B story, but like you said, it was so blurry. It was a little hard to tell what was what and a C story and a D story. So I, I just, I have two that I thought were funny. I don't know Fair what enough. stories they're from. <laughs> so <laughs> one is from, uh, from Andy and, uh, you know, he, he's talking about the, the senior center and it's really weird. Some stuff's going on. He doesn't know what the make of it. And, he said, it's like bizarro land out there. Mm. And, and I don't know, Mark, that just struck a, a chord for me, given, you know, what, 2021. And I don't know what month is it? I don't even know anymore. Oh, I, I don't know. It, it's a Schmez day of the week. I think they entered in a new day of the week. <laughs> I like that. And my my other AK was from Derek, <laughs> where he's dressed up as a senior. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he says, let me tell you about the Civil War. <laughs> no, uh, I, he's such a dick but i don't know for me it just made me laugh you know and he is a dick but, yeah. but i gotta say funny's funny funny's funny <laughs> yeah so there you go folks there's the akas for this week love it all right mark well should we move into our episode breakdown at this point yeah let's do that um i thought this was a Kind of an interesting uh, cold open. You might agree with me. This was especially long. Um, it was two minutes and 17 seconds. It's plot relevant. Um, and it took place. Uh, it's it's a two scene uh, cold open as well, which is a little bit. I, don't, I think we've had one of those before, but it's, it's yeah, very, very rare. But I don't think we've had anything last two, two minutes, 17 before. I think that's new. No, I think that's a record. I think you're right. Yeah. Yeah. So for this cold open. We're inside a restaurant and it's breakfast. Uh, of course, all good food is breakfast food. We know that. Yeah. Uh, so we're inside a restaurant and we've got Leslie and her mom, Marlene, and Anne and Donna and April and, and three women that I didn't know initially. I believe their names are Courtney, Shelly and Emily. I, I think Emily is the third one. You know, you're yeah. on top of this. You're yeah, good. Of course. So they're all sitting around a, in the restaurant, a large rectangular table and they're celebrating Galentine's Day and the gal where this is where the gals, of course, leave their significant others at home and they kick it breakfast style. Uh, Leslie has a great little description where she describes it as Lilith Fair minus the angst plus frittatas, which is pretty good. 
sounds delicious. Um, so at the end of this, Leslie's mom, Marlene, tells a romantic story about Frank, the one who got away. Later at City Hall, Leslie is telling her mom's story of Frank to Tom and Justin, causing Justin to get very, very excited about the prospect of finding Frank and reuniting him and Marlene. Very nice. Yeah, you know, I, I feel like this cold open's pretty interesting. And, and I think, if I'm not mistaken, there was a little bit of deleted footage here as well that, uh, you know, I, I didn't do a very good job on the deleted scenes, not my normal my normal documentarian style this week, but I think there was a, a couple of funny, interesting things that happened in one of the scenes uh, where we, we get to meet Courtney and Shelly at least a little more. Mm. And it turns out that this is like Leslie's 12th Galentine's day. Oh, holy cow. Um, and they were the, and Courtney and Shelly are apparently from the original crew. Um, oh, wow. Yeah. And college you know, maybe, maybe, well, mm-hmm. Courtney was an opera singing major at Indiana. Mm. And another fun fact about Shelly is she's apparently never had a soda in her life because as a child, she was afraid of the bubbles. Well, yeah. I mean, who can blame her? She's not alone. <laughs> no. All right. Well, from the cold open, Mark, we move into the bullpen and Mark enters and it looks like he's thanking Anne for some early Valentine's Day gifts that she's already given him. That's right. He is just uh, astounded. Because if I'm not mistaken, Mark, Valentine's Day is tomorrow in this episode. Today is Valentine's Day, February 13th. That is correct. It it is the number one uh, 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 fake holiday in the world as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. Yeah, me too. But yeah, February 13th. So you're exactly right. So he's he's jumping the gun a little bit, but it, he's pretty close. And I, I guess Anne's the one that jumped the gun because she already got Mark some gifts, yes. like he said. Um, and so he's just praising her for being like just an awesome, awesome girlfriend. Um, um, <clears throat> I think she got him a towel. Yeah, apparently he was <laughs> a little little bachelor and, um, mm-hmm. you know, you know, had the threadbare underwear and all the other things that bachelors don't have, like towels. Yeah, I think he was just using a piece of cardboard or maybe a bathrobe. <laughs> An old know. doily he got from his grandma. So anyway, so Mark hugs Anne, says, thank you, thank you, love the Um Leslie arrives and starts organizing the gang to all help out with the Senior Center Valentine's Dance the, the following day on Valentine's Day. And um, <laughs> Leslie has a, a great little uh, sequence where she's saying, you know, look, this is great because some of these... Um, Couples have been married for half a century. You know, we could learn a lot from them. And <laughs> no offense, but everybody here is terrible at love. And she starts going around the group and pointing out. So Tom divorced, April dating a gay guy, Ron divorced twice, Ann and Mark, jury still out on you. And Jerry, who knows? And this is a great little PBJ <laughs> where he's like, because we know, right? He said, yeah. Leslie, I've been happily married for 28 years. You've met my wife, Gail, many times. And Leslie just says, whatever. Whatever. <laughs> <laughs> Jerry. And I think this is where Leslie kind of throws Mark and Anna to the boss and, and tells them that they're going to be volunteering, which I think heretofore, they just did not know. No, I think you're right. I think they got drafted. Yeah, that sounds right. Oh, yes. And then Leslie's got her little great uh, <laughs> JFK. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Tom mistakes for Terminator. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was pretty funny. Yeah. Then she does a real Terminator and it's not bad. Ron gets yeah. her a high five and everything. I know. I know. Yeah. It's pretty good. Well, from here, the action moves into Leslie and Tom's office and Wendy enters um, and apparently Tom's expecting her. Yeah, it's kind of odd. Um 
Wendy walks in. I guess she's received a message from Tom that he wanted to talk. And so she sits down and Tom presses a button on his computer and starts playing some romantic music, or maybe it was a boom box. I don't know. And all of a sudden produces romantic music, offers champagne, which, you know, Wendy has to do surgery in an hour. So she didn't take, um, <laughs> even though it's what Jay-Z drinks. Um, and, and he gives her a rose and he starts to tell her how she feels, but she, only to be politely stopped by Wendy, who obviously can kind of see where this is going. And yep. I think her sentence is, look, Tommy, I just want you to know I'm so grateful for everything you did for me, but I only see us as friends. And then she leaves and the scene ends with Tom trying to salvage the apparently uh, expensive champagne by trying to pour it back into the bottle. Poor guy. You know, I, I'm a little conflicted over the Wendy thing, and I'll tell you why. Mm. Um, I, was it Leslie's house where Tom actually moves out? Is that the episode? Um, it's a recent episode we just covered and I should, Sweetums. I should remember. Sweetums. Uh, oh, it was Sweetums. You're right. It was just last week. Yep. Uh, right before our mailbag. Um, you know, in that, in that episode, you know, the canon of the episode, I think everything's on above the board and everyone kind of, you know, this is, looks like Tom kind of out on a limb with no real reference for why he thinks he can make this happen. Although he's been encouraged really by Leslie and Justin uh, at this point to just tell Wendy how he feels. Right. Of course, he's going to do that in a very Tom Haverford way, unfortunately. Unfortunately. Uh, yeah. With Jay, many, many Jay-Z references, of course. Mm -hmm. But, you know, there were deleted scenes in that episode where I felt like Wendy was sending some mixed signals. And I wouldn't normally say that, but, you know, she was very flirty with him and had her hand on his leg. And I don't know, to me, the way they played it, I was confused myself, frankly. So, you know, of course, as we've discussed, that's not specifically canon because it's in the deleted scenes. And I'll give you that, Mark. But oh, I, I'm so proud that you acknowledge that. OK, yeah. Well, I had to, I was told I had to acknowledge one thing for you today. <laughs> All right. <laughs> it's, it's on my it's on my daily to do list. Yeah. Um, but anyway, I just thought it was worth mentioning that, you know, that that was something they had obviously been considering. They cut it for obvious reasons. Uh, and, you know, we're we're looking at this as a very one sided, you know, Last ditch effort by Tom. Right. Agreed. Well, from here, we're over at Shoeshine Stand and we've got Andy and Gorley and Chang and they're all gathered around and they're practicing some very non mouse rap music. And Kyle's there, too, for some reason. I don't know why. <laughs> yeah, Kyle's there, too, the Shoeshine Stand. I think they're practicing um, these old fogey songs, as, as Andy calls them. And Leslie walks up at the very end and says, you know, oh, you know, you guys sound good. And. Andy's like, I don't know. I don't know about these old songs. I want to, they're weird. You know, I want to do our, the, the stuff that we know, like recent ones. And Leslie tells him, think of it this way. These songs are exactly like the songs you usually play, except instead of modern rock, they're old jazzy standards from the forties. And he's like, oh yeah, yeah. Okay. You got a point there. And he starts to feel a little better. And Leslie leaves. And we see, as you said, Kyle is in the background. And <laughs> I just love the way this, the seat ends. Kyle punching bag Kyle. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. Kyle says, says, uh, Andy, I've been here for half an hour. Can I get my shoe shine? And Andy says, Kyle, I am going to lose my beep on you if you ask me one more time. <laughs> <laughs> oh, poor guy. Yeah. I don't know if Andy's going to make it as a businessman. I'm just a little worried. See, I don't know, because you would think that. And yet he must be doing something really, really well for Kyle to endure this level of punishment. 
I, I'm thinking Kyle parks really far away from the parks department and walks through some sort of dusty field because he clearly mm. needs his shoes shined very frequently. You may be right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, in the next scene, I believe we're in the hallway at City Hall and Leslie's just been she's walking away from the shoe shine booth when Justin comes sprinting down the hallway out of breath and he's got some news. He is so excited, Alan. He has found Frank, the Frank in Bridgeport, Illinois. Not Frank, the uh, the groundhog, but a different Frank. No, and not Frank Furter, uh, no. but but uh, Frank. No, that's from uh, Rocky Horror. That's right. That's right. No, Frank Enferter. I'm sorry. <laughs> the the end's silent. Um, <laughs> I can't. I can't remember Frank's. Last, it doesn't matter. I can't remember Frank's last name from this from this episode. It doesn't matter. Anyway, uh, you mean the the Frank that we're going to be introducing here in this episode, Frank Beckerson. Like I said, it's Frank Beckerson. He told her he found Frank Beckerson <laughs> in Bridgeport, Illinois. And okay. um, <clears throat> so Justin He's is 63 clearly, years old. I did not know that. Yeah. You are full of fun facts. You're like a Look, fountain of stuff. I, I read the script, man. <laughs> oh, I don't have any scripts or anything. So I just kind of wing it. Divorce, no like, kids, worked as a lifeguard when he was 20. You're I mean, awesome. How many facts do you want? I don't know. Uh, is he good at uh, Sudoku? Uh, how far can we go? No. All right. <laughs> anyway. Level three. So it, Justin is clearly really excited about this. And I think at this point, he's got Leslie kind of on board. Like, I think Leslie's kind of excited about the potential of this, you know, and they go to Ron's office and say, hey, we want to. Uh, can I take a half day off the next day on <laughs> Valentine's Day? Because uh, we want to take a, a, a secret mission of love. Yeah. Which Ron interprets as a, you're like you're asking my permission for a nooner. Nope, uh, and and then she doesn't know what that means. No. And so she's like, I, I don't That's know. We're word, gonna though. we're gonna leave at noon, maybe. And you're like, I don't know. You, Justin, explain it to her in a little bit. So <laughs> anyway, Ron gives uh, the thumbs up and a smirk. Yeah, well, I think all, most of the action now happens on the next day, which we're to in the next scene. It's actually Valentine's Day. And Mark has now got his opportunity to present Anne with his gifts. And I believe we're at Anne's house at this point. That is correct, Alan. We, we cut to Anne's house and Mark is in a, a suit, I think. And he's presenting. I think it's a tux. Is it real? Oh, my gosh. He's, a Mark says, he's doing this right, man. Yeah. Or at least cliche. Very cliche. And, and so Mark's in a tux and he's presenting Anne with several, I think all the cliched Valentine's Day gifts, including... <clears throat> a bear in a paper bag, a heart-shaped balloon, a giant teddy bear holding a red heart, a heart-shaped box of chocolates, a dozen red roses, perfume yearning by Dennis Feinstein, oh jewelry. God. And then, you know, with the jewelry, he kind of closes the lid on her hand, pretty woman style. And, you know, yeah, it's the heart that, of the ocean. That's funny. It's, of course, it's the heart of the ocean. Um, and, Mark, one of the things I love about his outfit, it, not only is it a tuxedo, but it's a tuxedo with a red uh, bow tie and a red cummerbund. I wasn't sure at first if he was a magician or if he, <laughs> if he was showing up for a Valentine's day date. Oh my gosh. If that would have been so perfect, if he had presented each one of those cliche gifts, yes. like now out of my hat, presto, bang. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. A puff of oh smoke. My gosh. Yes. Been brilliant. So, so two things, first of all, that the scene ends, you know, and, and politely uh, kisses Mark, telling him, you know, yes, that was very sweet. In my opinion, she seemed uh, uh, appreciative, but a little 
underwhelmed. I don't know if that's the right way to put it. You know, I, I think it, it's not in this scene, but I think it's about to ha- something else is about to happen. Let's circle back to that thought. Okay. The other thing I wanted to point out is this is a very rare, 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 and maybe the only one where we experience the very rare Mark Brendanowitz jump cut sequence. You know, you're right. I believe there was one other that I can recall, but it was in deleted scenes. Oh, well, it's not canon. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> How do I hang up this thing? Is there a, a button to hang up on you? No, you can't. They don't make these with hangups. <sighs> okay. <clears throat> so anyway, so that, that, that ends that. And so, yeah, you, you get the feeling that Mark is very, very into Anne and he's really excited. And Anne's like, eh, you know, this is, this is nice. I mean, these are cliched gifts, but sure. it's still a nice gesture for sure. It really it's is. their first Valentine's Day and, and et cetera. And, you know. Right. You know, I mean, this is no towel. Don't get me wrong. You know, but hey, it's been a really nice towel. Yeah. I think she owns her own towels, so she didn't need that help. <laughs> well, from 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 Ann's house, we find ourselves in Justin's car. It looks like Leslie and Justin are on the way to Bridgeport to meet Frank Beckerson, a.k.a. Poopa. Mm, yeah, Poopa. Yeah, that it's road trip time, baby. And and uh, Justin's driving and Leslie's uh, riding shotgun there and they're on the highway to uh, Bridgeport, Illinois. And they're talking about what ifs and stuff, kind of like I said in my in my AKA. And yep. Leslie decides she'll call him Poopa, you know, if things go well. Anyway, they get to Frank's house and um, I, I think Leslie has a very quick talking head, but but they they get to the door. Quick but that, funny. Uh, quick but funny. And they ring the doorbell. And Frank answers the door. He apparently isn't uh, wearing his glasses and he mistakes Leslie for Marlene <laughs> and like comes out Marlene and hugs her. And she's like, no, no, Poopa, no, <laughs> no, oh, no, he, no. I'm her dog. He's going full lip to lip. If he can oh, make yeah. this happen. Yeah. 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 Poopa's wanting it. Yeah. <laughs> so Leslie corrects him and then he's like, oh, I'm sorry. Well, come on in. So that's kind of ends that scene. Yeah. And then we're actually in Frank's house in the next scene and we, we get to see what it looks like living in Bridgeport as a single man in your 60s. Mm, lots of. Yeah, pictures. I don't know what he's been up to for the last 40 years or so, but um, I think we're about to learn a little bit. Well, <clears throat> I know that Leslie asked him uh, he, he she knew that that her mom talked about him wanting to be a lawyer, which ah. apparently never uh worked out so you know there's that um, <laughs> he did act as a, his own lawyer once though that's outstanding a good sign yeah that that's almost it yeah. um well frank finds a bunch of old pictures of uh of him and marlene so, some very sweet and some maybe not as a as a, uh, appropriate um <laughs> and he showed both <laughs> he <did. laughs> both types to leslie um and you know he's remembering her fondly uh, you know this is from when they were very young and they were in love and and he's clearly nervous but he's excited to see her again and it kind of ends with i i think they've kind of told him like look we'd like to bring you back and and yeah. reunite you two and so frank tells him oh look i'm really excited to see see her again i'm gonna throw up real quick and then we can leave so he's <laughs> he's clearly a little nervous at this point yeah but but i mean it kind of sweet a little bit. Yeah. I mean, I, I, first of all, I'm going to adopt this whole real quick, throw up real quick before I leave thing. I think that's important, you know, to purge right before you leave the house, you know, approach everything that's about to happen, you know, with a fresh outlook. Well, I just thought through aerodynamics. Yeah. But yeah, either way. <laughs> I mean, keep some extra Listerine around, but you know. That, that, 
at paging uh, Dr. Constantine. Yeah, there you go. Mm-hmm. Well, I think in the next scene, we're back at the parks department briefly before we find ourselves in back in Justin's car. And Derek and Ben have arrived and uh, they're I think they're inviting April out for Valentine's Day. Yeah, this is just a short little scene. Apparently, uh, Derek and Ben are aware of a, of a Valentine's Day bash happening at that great bar by Ron's house, The Bulge. The Bulge, yeah. Which has a great breakfast buffet from what I hear. Um, <laughs> but anyway, they, they, you know, April is underage, but they're telling her, well, we can get you a drink bracelet. So, you know, let's let's do this thing. Yeah. And April tells them, I, I, I can't because uh, I got my duties. You know, I'm going to this seniors Valentine's Day dance. And strangely enough, they both go, can we go? Oh, yeah, they're into it. They're really into it. And April's like, I, I guess. But why? And well, because old people are funny and it'll be just like the Golden Girls. <laughs> I guess, you know, uh, seems logical. Sure. Yeah. Well, as I said before, from that scene, we're back in Justin's car. We're, we're leaving Bridgeport and headed back to Pawnee, presumably. And, you know, the drive, I think Frank's, they're asking some questions and Frank's explaining a little bit, you know, and saying he's, he's quite a bit nervous about this. Yeah, he really is. I, I don't know that there's, I didn't pick up a lot of interesting detail here other than Frank is an odd duck. Um, yeah. And, and he's very, very nervous. And at one point he, it seems that he's very prone to panic attacks and at least he is right now for this purpose. And so he's, (laughs) he's looking for a bag. And so Leslie finally has to give him her purse, which he, I think empties and then kind of just, you know, breathes inside it to try and calm himself down. Yeah. Um, He's on the verge of hyperventilation here. I, I wanted to make a quick note of this scene and I've said this sort of thing before, but you know, it didn't bother my enjoyment of this scene or this episode or anything like that, but it did occur to me in the whole spirit of the Parks and Rec uh, mockumentary. Yeah. The, so there, there's two camera angles from the mockumentary crew who was, you know, clearly with them, Alan. Um, yeah. One was from the side of, of uh, Frank's face and the other sure. is like from the perspective of really from Frank's seat. Uh, looking over uh, Leslie's shoulder as she's kind of looking back at him. Sure, sure. And as shooting a sitcom, awesome. Great camera angles, does a great job. Of course. Totally buy into it. And then every now and again, it occurs to me, wait a minute, this is supposed to be an actual mockumentary crew. Like, are they taking up the actual atoms that that Frank has in his body to be like the camera? Uh, (laughs) It's interesting. So um, never mind. No, it, it's it is interesting. I there I you know that's I was one of the things I was going to mention here too. These camera shots in the cars are very interesting, and you know go listen to Office Ladies. They did a lot of these mockumentary car rides as well. And uh, physics is often a challenge. You know mm-hmm. sometimes they're you know from a technical perspective these things can be done with ride along cars and such. But you're right. I mean typically. The camera is an actor, if you will, in the sure. space that everyone else is occupying. And clearly here they're violating some rules. <laughs> so although lipstick cams are very small and they can really be hidden anywhere. So that's true. Just, we'll chalk it off to that. How's that? All right. Fair enough. The other thing that struck me was you mentioned Frank's just an odd duck. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, they, they said, you know, where have you been for the last 40 years? And oh, yeah, yeah. you know, here and there. Uh, Granada for a while, then Panama and Afghanistan. Oh, so you were in the military? No. (laughs) (laughs) All right, dude. Yeah. So, you know, to have traveled to those specific places, not in the military, 
yeah, there's a lot of duck going on there. Yeah, I, I think at Frank's house, he seemed a little odd, but sweet. I think the the shine's starting to come off the sweet a little bit. Yeah, I'd agree. Mm-hmm. Well, right after Frank gets into his hyperventilation there, we're going to be back at the senior <laughs> center for a minute. And we see Andy and Mouse Rat and they're warming up and getting ready for tonight's big event. Yeah, we see Mouse Rat, and I think we see the rest of the gang, uh, the Parks and Rec gang there too, just doing setup. Yeah, and in the background, and stuff. Yeah, is there yeah. and Tom. Yeah, yeah. Um, and and Mouse Rat gets done uh, playing, uh, you know, let's call the whole thing off. Uh, and and they're not sure if it sounds good. And and Andy has a quick talking head where he basically says, you know, normally when you play rock, it's easy to know if you're doing great because chicks will flash their boobs at you when you're up on stage and you're like, Oh, well that must've sounded pretty good, but I can't, if that happens here, my eyes will fall out of my head and I will die. (laughs) (laughs) Bravo, Andy. (laughs) That's great. Well, back on the road, Leslie, Justin and Frank are stopping for gas and Frank is still not dealing with this very well. This is a very short scene. Yeah, just a super quick scene. Uh, They stop. We look back in the back seat. Uh, Frank's patting his face nervously. Leslie's like, you okay?" And he's like, "Ah," and he opens the door and he bolts. And they're like, oh, crap. Yeah, this is he kind of has his little Cameron moment from Ferris Bueller here where he's semi catatonic. And then he wakes up and he just like you said, he, he just shoots right out of the car. Yeah, he's he's not doing well. No, he's not. No. Well, back at the senior center, Mouse Rat is finally performing. I think the evening's event is actually finally underway. And uh, we're going to check in here briefly with Mark and Ann. Yeah. At the very beginning, um, you know, we we see uh, we have a nice little moment where April is watching Andy's band play on stage. And I'm only mentioning that because we see a rare April smiling moment. Ah, that's um, a good point. So that's, that's nice. But like you yeah. said, it was just very, very brief. The, the main gist of this is Mark and Ann are dancing with each other. And, and you know, Mark's like, I think this is going great. Uh, do you think it's going great? And Ann's like, well, you know, uh, yes. But like, well, no, seriously, how am I doing as a boyfriend? Like, he seems a little needy and, and not real confident. Yeah. That, you know, and, he's, and she's like, You're, it's fine. It's fine. And he lets it drop for a second. It, it, just, it just seems to me on paper that, you know, this thing that we've got is pretty great. And then she kind of does the the damning with faint praise thing. It's like, yes, nerd, on paper, this thing we have is pretty great. Yeah. That's interesting. And then Anne has a talking head, you know, just to clarify, Alan, that she says, Mark is a great boyfriend. I have no complaints at all. Everything is good. It's like Ron Swanson wrote that dialogue for her. <laughs> Except you know, at the at the end of it, you would have now bring me all the bacon and eggs you have. Yeah, but other than true. that, yeah. Other than that, y- you know what occurred to me here, and this is I somewhat referenced this earlier and said let's circle back to your thought on this. Oh yeah, uh, because of this scene specifically. One, I can tell you, you know, uh, through all my life experience, you know, um, and, and I've had lots of it mostly in number of years, not necessarily in anything else. Um, but, (laughs) um, women really like insecurity. That's what I have found. Oh, Oh, wait a minute. No, I have that backwards. I'm so sorry. Men like insecurity. Uh, shut up, Mark. No. Okay. Yeah. I don't even want to go down that road. (laughs) Oh, they like you to be confident. That's what they do. Yes. Yes. And here's Mark. I, you know what? I think he's kind of having this, the, the reaction that we've all kind of had, frankly, like, 
and that Tom had early on, which is, dude, she's kind of out of your league. And I think he's realizing it. And instead of just going with it and making the most of it, they've had a good Valentine's Day so far, kind of. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, I think I, I, he would have been forgiven for the kind of generic approach. I think that's a that's a first timer Valentine's Day, you know, and I don't think that was really bothering Ann that much. And yet here he kind of doubles down. And now I think he's got her wondering. Well, you know, Tom kind of spelled it out for Mark in, in a, a few episodes ago. Uh, and Anne's level of hotness is not the, the type of woman that you get a computer <laughs> bag. She's the type of level of hotness that you get diamonds uh, for, for a gift. So, yeah. And you don't act unconfident. Yeah, I think that that is worse than anything else he's done to date here, frankly, is doubting himself outwardly and trying to get her to talk him out of this doubt he's having. That's functionally what's having happening here is he's having a conversation with himself out loud. I would agree with that. But if I was going to play nickel psychologist, sure, which, I, which I often I'll do. give you six cents to tell me what you think. <laughs> I'm going to be a rich man. I, I feel like it's also a that where, you know, Mark is displaying level X of of enthusiasm. And when Anne doesn't even meet like half that, it, I think it kind of makes him go, er, I think that that's reasonable. I, I do of. too. But his first line is, you know, I might be crazy, but I have a weird suspicion that things are going pretty well for us. Like he, he, he opens his opening volley is, Hey, um, am I crazy or are you crazy to be with me? <laughs> See, I just <laughs> thought he meant that as a joke. Well, I, I yes, maybe. I, I don't know. I, again, I think this is unfortunately something he's going to have difficulty recovering from. Yeah, you may be right. Yeah. Well, Mark, from there, Leslie and Justin and Frank finally arrive at the senior center, but Frank's asleep in the backseat. And I think Leslie is having some second thoughts. Yeah, yeah. They, it's now dark or at least dusk. Uh, you know, Frank's in the backseat sleep. Leslie and Justin are outside talking and it looks like maybe Leslie is starting to have uh, second thoughts about all of this, you know, for two reasons. Number one, that she's kind of concerned that he's a loon. And, and <laughs> second, whether or not this is going to be any more a positive experience for her mom. Um, Justin, on the other hand, seems more concerned with them finishing their adventure, uh, mm. seeing how it ends, what's going to happen, et cetera. Um, so they're kind of arguing a little bit. Uh, Leslie kind of being tempted to drive him back and Justin going, no, 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 calm down. You can't do that. And then they kind of turn their heads and they notice that, oops, Frank's gotten out of the car and has now gone inside the senior center. Yeah, he's skedaddled while they were having it out. And uh, so the choice has been kind of removed from them at this point. Yep. Yep. Well, speaking of that, we're now inside the senior center and Leslie and Justin are headed in and they are. They're, they're trying to find Marlene, I think, so they can kind of say, hey, let's get out of here before, you know, Mr. Crazy shows up. <laughs> yeah, they, they come in and they're looking all around. I assume maybe they were looking for Frank so that they could like throw a net over him or something. But I think yeah, her mom is a good second choice to get her yes. the heck out of there. Yeah, yeah. Or at least that's how Leslie feels. Right. Um, and I, I think you're right. Justin feels differently and they have different motivations here. But uh, I don't think right. Frank is in sight. So I, I think Leslie just grabs Marlene. Oh, Right, right. She sees her mom, walks up to her. And, you know, I, I guess Leslie had told her, oh, there's going to be a big surprise. Meet us at the senior center. That's kind of what we're led to believe. Ah, um, right. And then she she tries to uh, tactfully 
uh, leave with her mom like, hey, we have something to tell you. Come over here real far away from everything. Come on, let's go. And then before they can, Marlene kind of looks up in between them and off into the distance. And we turn around and we see Frank. And so Frank and Marlene are kind of looking at each other. And, you know, for all Leslie's worrying for a second, it looks like, well, this is kind of nice. Like they're kind of shy. They kind of say hi. And, you know, hey, do you want to do you want to catch up? And like, okay, this this could maybe maybe he's calmed down. You know, maybe this will be okay. And we're kind of like Justin here. You know, let's just let this unfold and see what happens. I, I do like how this little part of it ends. Leslie goes. Oh boy, like a real nervous, and J- and Justin goes, "Oh boy," like oh the same <laughs> words, but like excitedly, like uh-huh. I can't wait to see what happens. That's great. It's one of those acting exercises. Yeah. I love that. Yeah, acting is reacting. Acting is reacting. Well, in the next scene, April's hanging out with Ben and Derek, who are, as usual, making fun of other people. Surprise, surprise. Yeah, I, I think we have a, a very, very, very like just a few second shot of Frank and Marlene. They're off talking. We can't hear the audio, but they're off talking amongst yeah, themselves. We get a spy so, shot. you know, hopefully that's going yeah. well. Yeah, exactly. We have a spy shot, you know, mass rats playing a slow romantic tune. We pan over the throuple. Our favorite throuple is leaning yeah. against a wall. And Derek is, um, I-, I love this. Derek is dressed up as an old graying man with a cane and making snarky remarks along with Ben. Um, He's going to tell him about the civil war, I think. And uh, April does, does not seem amused at any of this. And instead she's looking over at an old couple who's clearly in love and they're doting on each other. And, and she walks over and tells them that they're adorable. Um, And then kind of real quick as a second part of this scene, Justin is now surrounded by uh, most of the Parks and Rec gang, I think. And he's he's animatedly telling them the story of their road trip and, uh, you know, and getting Frank and bringing him back, et cetera. And yeah, the corpse of this thing is even cold yet. And Justin's already spinning tails. Oh, yeah, yeah. And and everybody is just like smiling and laughing and. Ron seems a little nonplussed this and says, well, what does Leslie think of all this? And Justin says, I don't know. I I lost track of her in the chaos anyway. And so he then goes on telling the story and Ron maybe seems a a tad bit bothered by that. Yeah. You know, I love the exchange between Ben and Derek (laughs) and I, this was my AKA where he says, let me tell you, come here, Sonny, let me tell you about the civil war. And then Ben goes, grandpa, leave me alone. You smell like death. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. That's terrific. I mean, I'm, I'm like April. I'm annoyed with them, but that's a little funny. (laughs) Funny is funny. Yeah. And what are you going to do? Well, from there, Tom is seated at a table when Wendy arrives at the senior center. And I think this is a little bit of a surprise to us because we didn't know this was going to happen. Yeah. Tom's sitting at a table alone. Uh, Mouse rats continuing to play a slow song. And yeah, we see an agitated Wendy enter the senior center. She appears to be holding an envelope. She looks around, sees Tom, walks up to him, asks him, why is he suing her for alimony? And they have a little exchange where Tom says, well, you know, I, I've been accustomed to lifestyle, blah, blah, blah. But, you know, hey, you can make this all go away if, if you go out with me. Three and dates. Wendy's pretty, 
one day, uh, maybe yeah. coffee. He starts <laughs> backpedaling. Wendy is disgusted at this blackmail attempt and get up and walks away. Yeah. And, and I had assumed actually at this point, because I don't, I don't know what the later scenes were going to be yet, but I assumed at this point, Wendy got up and like left, left, like yeah. left the entire thing. Most people would have. So, and I don't blame her. Yeah. Yep. Shortly following that scene, Mark, Andy and the band are taking a break and and seems kind of impressed to see Andy back on stage. Yeah. Andy's uh, sitting by the stage. Maybe he's tuning his guitar. Like I said, he's, you know, drinking a soda, just kind of relaxing between between songs and walks up to him and tells him they sound really good. And Andy appreciates her support. And, and then April uh, quickly walks up and, and urges Andy, hey, uh, get back on stage there. You know, these old <laughs> fogies are paying for for a good gig. So get back up there. Hey, maybe. And she says, maybe you could play that song the way you look tonight. That's a really cool song. And and he's like, oh, OK. And so then like flash forward, maybe 30 seconds. So, so the, the band starts playing and, and Ann and April are still right there, like in front of Andy while they're playing. And, uh, uh, you know, Andy and April kind of looking at each other. And Andy says, this is going out to a little lady named April Ludgate. And uh, and Mouse Rat is playing and Anne and April have an awkward moment where mm. Anne asks April if they're together and April asks why she cares. And Anne just kind of shakes her head and looks back at Andy. And now Anne's or April's kind of given Anne a suspicious side eye. Like she's not, she doesn't like her a bit. Yeah. The kids call that the stink eye, Mark. Um, I think if April could oh, kill that with is? that look, Anne would be dead right there on the, on mm, the old people I think dance you're right. floor. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you yeah. know, this is this is interesting to me because we we've seen a couple minor moments of Anne April conflict to this point, but only maybe two. And I would say that if this is the third of three, they are each there's an escalation path here because this one looks hostile. I think you're right. I would agree with that. Right after this scene, Mark Marlene and Frank are seated and it looks like they're finally catching up. There's some conversation going on here. And then I think shortly after that, there's a long spy shot of Wendy and Tom. And then we're back at the table. So there's a couple scenes that kind of run together here. Right. I, I think here is the first time that we as the audience are hearing any audio uh, going along with Marlene and Frank catching up. Right. And right. long story short, you know, Marlene says, so what you've been up to? And Frank's telling her essentially I had nothing and I'm a failure and I've never tried <laughs> anything and I don't really work. And, but do you want to pick up where we left off? And she says, no, <laughs> I don't think so. And, and like you said, there's a, there's a quick spy shot far away, no audio of Tom and Wendy in the background talking. It looks like talking amicably and then hugging and then Wendy walking off Right. So since we couldn't hear what they said at this point, it's unclear what this means from a plot perspective, because last time I saw Wendy, she was either going to storm out or punch him in the schnoz. So I don't really understand what happened here. I'm going to get back to that later. Yes, let's do um, it. Leslie sees Marlene preparing to leave and it's like, I'm sorry, mom. I know he's kind of, you know, blah, blah, blah. And Frank all of a sudden gets on stage, grabs the mic, tells Marlene she blew it and <laughs> storms off. So, huh, that's weird. Um, and, and you know, this obviously got the attention of everyone in the freaking senior center since he got on the mic and, you know, told her this well, sure. publicly. 
and and again, you know, following this theme, Alan, while Leslie is understandably concerned for her mom and if if she's like stressed or her feelings are hurt or, you know, how she feels about that. Justin also comes to her aid, so to speak, but only because he mm-hmm. wants her to tell him every detail of what happened and not to leave anything out. So that's his motivation. Yeah. If you weren't already where Ron is, I think you're probably there now. I would agree with that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, right after that scene, Ben and Derek are seated at a table, uh, you know, because obviously, you know, he needs to take some weight off. He's getting old, you know, with his gray yeah. hair there. And uh, April approaches and and things turn pretty quickly here. This is another interesting scene. Yeah, I think at this point they're getting ready to wrap up the dance. So Mouse Rat is playing their last song of the night under my yep. skin. And 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 April was coming up basically to tell Derek and Ben, hey, we can go pretty soon. And things turn pretty ugly between them. Like they keep mocking and he just, she just basically tells them I'm paraphrasing. She's like, I'm fed up with all your irony. Like I, I, I don't like it. And they tell her you, you've become completely lame ever since you've been quote, hanging out with that meathead. Mm. And April says, well, you know what? You can go honk Herman. We're breaking up. And, and thus the thruple has ended. Um, and then the, the second part to this scene, we see Leslie at a table by herself. Ron kind of slowly walks over, sits down with her and, you know, kind of asks her if she's OK. And, and Leslie tells him essentially, I, I, you know, hey, Ron, I'm upset with Justin. You know, he's, he's smart and interesting and everything, but I'm kind of upset with him. And I, I, I can't, it's, I'm not 100 percent sure why it's hard to pinpoint. And then. We see a really, really great, uh, iconic uh, Parks and Rec scene where, well, actually, Alan, would we be able to play this clip? Yeah, you know what, Mark? I think that's a good idea. Let's do that. Yep. Everything okay? Nope. My boyfriend is a lawyer, and he's smart and interesting, and there's a lot of things about him I like. But he acted like a real jerk today. I don't know. There's something about the way he treats people or something. He's a tourist. He vacations in people's lives, takes pictures, puts them in a scrapbook, and moves on. All he's interested in are stories. Huh. Basically, Leslie, he's selfish. And you're not. That's why you don't like him. There you go. I think that says a lot. Yeah, it really does. I I love this scene. Um. You know, great for Ron to support Leslie as always. But, you know, I also like it when we get, you know, the wisdom of Ron as a man of few but but powerful words, you know. Yeah, I mean, Ron is great at two things specifically. Well, many more. If you include bacon wrapped shrimp. But I will say that the two things that I had in mind, at least, were, you know, he plays the comedic foil very well. And when he's Mm -hmm. funny and and is is tickled by something, we're tickled as well. But. Mm -hmm. You know, like you said, he's kind of got some paternal wisdom for Leslie here, which most of the time she frankly doesn't need. In this case, I think it's really helpful. It's exactly what she needs to hear at exactly the right time. That's exactly right. Well said. Yeah. But Constantine wrote that for me. So, oh, he is talented. He really is good. Yeah. Well, Mark, I, I think something's about to happen right after this, and it's a little unusual. I'd say we've got two kickers in this episode. Um, I didn't know how else to kind of quantify this, but they're two short scenes. And I think if they were separate and neither in 
I think if they were separate and only one of them were here, we'd call that one the kicker. And I think they're both kickers. You know what? I, I think you're right. The, the main difference is the first one, I think, is kind of ending the main storyline, if you will, at the senior yeah. center. And then the yeah. other is a complete, not only scene change, but a day change as well to, to kind of end it. But yeah. so, yeah, let's go through those real quick. So the, the, the first of the two that Alan's talking about, um, Mouse Rat finishes their last song of the night under my skin. And, you, you know, you see April applauding and whooping. So clearly she's chosen Andy, so to speak, over the thruple, which is kind of nice. Um, Andy gets off stage and starts walking towards April, but an older lady cuts in front of April and tells Andy he was terrific, sounding just like Dean Martin. And she goes on to say, if I were 50 years younger, which makes April go Ew, <laughs> and walk quickly away. Um, and I think Andy correctly sums it up in a very, very short talking hit after that. He said, if I'm not mistaken, that was the old lady version of flashing <laughs> nailed the gig. Love it. Yep. And then the second part is the next day at city hall. Yeah. Um, we see uh, Justin and Tom in Tom's office, uh, just the two of them. And Justin is clearly, uh, you know, telling Tom about the divorce uh, or the, well, sorry, uh, the, 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 the breakup, but you know, it's it, Tom is taking it hard. Like Alan, all the old cliches for the child of divorce come yes. out, you know, Tom's telling him, you guys can't break up. Uh, we can fix this. Is it my fault? Did I do something? And then Justin has all the, you know, the cliche divorced oh, yeah. parent, you know, we're going to see each other all the time. I'll be in town every weekend. This has nothing to do with you. Uh, let me get you a pocket square. Okay, maybe the pocket square one's not a cliche, but it does apply to Tom. Um, and then that's it. That's great. Now, that's a good episode wrap up and a good uh, good breakdown of the episode. So thank you for that, Mark. Certainly. Well, should we take a quick break and then when we come back, we'll we'll do a little bit of work on giving out our scores and then we'll all go home. That sounds like a plan, man. Let's do it. All right. We will be right back, everyone. Are you in the mood for heaping plates of outstanding breakfast food? If not, then I wish you a good day as I have nothing else to discuss with you and I, quite frankly, don't understand you. However, if the answer is yes, then JJ's Diner is the place for you. Hello. This is Ron Swanson, a staple for the citizens of Pawnee since its opening in 1976. JJ's Diner is owned by the great JJ Lipscomb and is located at 122 Sunderland between Tramp Stamp Tattoos and the Chlorotech Cadmium Refinery. Some have said that JJ's Diner is the meeting place for Pawnee's political elite. I don't know exactly what that means, and I still somehow hope that is inaccurate. However, I do know that JJ's Diner is open 24 hours a day, and that breakfast food is the only food I need at any of those 24 hours. My employee Leslie enjoys the waffles and whipped cream. I prefer large helpings of bacon and eggs, like most self-respecting people. Be sure to visit JJ's Diner often, preferably when I am not there. Tell them Ron sent you, and receive a free JJ's refrigerator magnet with your order of the Ron Special. A heaping portion of bacon and eggs, accompanied by a delicious side order of eggs and bacon smothered in sausage and sausage gravy. 
Mm. Uh, <clears throat> Thank you. That is all. All right. Welcome back, everybody. Well, Mark, I think just briefly before we get into tropes first and facts, uh, fun facts, you know, in the deleted scenes here for this episode, I, I, I clocked 13 of them running about five minutes and 53 seconds. Um, I think like a lot of episodes, a lot of this that hits the cutting room floor, it, it's perfectly fine that it pretty much stay there. We've already mentioned a couple that were a little bit funny. And I think we mentioned all the ones that are really worth mentioning. And, and they were pretty much part of the cold open. So I think that's all we've got on those, unless you have any, Mark. No, I think I'm good. Well, from a tropes and first and fun facts uh, perspective or goofs, if you've got any of those, Mark, um, what would you clock this week? I had a few. Well, I'll tell you what I clocked um, for first. Um, well, I'll, I'll do the obvious one first. It's uh, the first uh, yeah. Galentine's Day episode. So, you know, yay. There you um, go. Oh. I had a first of uh, Tom finally telling Wendy how he feels, which maybe that's a mm. lame first, but but it seems like he's been dancing around it, dancing around it. So we're like, OK, it finally happened. So. I'm no, gonna, I'm that's great. It. Good catch. I didn't get that one. Um, yeah. I noticed two things while Mark was at Anne's house and, and giving her all the cliche Valentine presents. One, and, and you can correct me if I'm wrong. I know you will. <laughs> one is that I think it's the first mention of Dennis Feinstein. Yep. I had that one. Okay. And then I said, this earlier and you said maybe this is not right so maybe this isn't valid but i thought that this was the first time that we had ever had a mark brandanowitz jump cut sequence is that not right no, do we have I, one I before think, no i think you're right we 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 agreed that it's the first that made it to air i think the other one that i can remember was maybe a little shorter and it was so that's it right was it's, not canon. Yeah, it's, it's not, not canon canon. it's not canon it doesn't exist that's no good judges okay. can we take it no no they said no, it's not canon. okay yeah so there you go. All right. How about yeah, I you? What I for first? Well, I had the Dennis Feinstein reference as well. And, and I, I love the, um, you got to love a good scent by Dennis Feinstein. Um, but, you know, I think outside of that, that I had, that's all I had on, on first. I did have a little short list of tropes kind of related. Um, like you, I kind of said, well, the obvious one is Galentine's because I think that is a recurring theme. We'll see again. Um, it's a it's another visit to JJ's. So I put that in the in the tropes list because any visit to JJ's belongs there. And I was glad to be back at JJ's. In fact, yep. it's kind of what I want for dinner tonight. I'm trying to figure out how to make that happen. I don't <laughs> really want to drive all the way to Pawnee tonight, though. Well, maybe you can DoorDash. Oh, I should look at that and see if that's an option. <laughs> um, I had a little bit of uh, PBJ, but I th- but I wrote down mine were mostly in deleted scenes here. How about you? There was one in the deleted scenes that I actually liked more than the one they, they left in the show. But there was one that they left in the show where Leslie's kind of going around the gang and going, you all suck at love. Divorce, dating a gay guy, uh, divorce. That's right. You know, and then finally she gets to Jerry and goes on Jerry. Who knows? And he's like, I've, I've been married for you know 28 years. You've met my wife. He's like, whatever. You know, just kind of dismisses him. So I mean, light PBJ, but I, I'll classify it as that anyway. Yeah, of course. Um, we had our punching bag Kyle incident where Kyle's been kind of hanging around for 30 minutes and Andy pretty much threatens to gut him. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I love that. I yeah. love that. 
And then I had another trope. And again, I think it's about the third incident. I've already mentioned this just a few minutes ago where we've kind of got an April hates Anne moment um, or at least pretends to. And, and I think over the course of the series, we see a little bit of both. We see some real hostility, which we saw a little bit here in terms of jealousy, I think. Uh, like, you know, hey, you moved on, move on. Right. And uh, and later, I, I think it's April putting up a front, though. I think she eventually does like Ian. You know, a little bit of a spoiler, I suppose. Well, that that's up for debate, of course. But but I, I do know what you mean. And I actually missed that one as far as a trope. Now, I had one that you didn't, um, What's that? which which makes me better. Um, of course. Well, actually, this is a trope that you were the first one to recognize this a few episodes ago. And and it. Uh, oh, I, so I still get partial credit. You do. You get the assist. Um, you had at one point brought up the trope of. I, I initially called it, I think in Christmas Scandal, I said, oh, it's overprepared Leslie. And you said, yeah. actually, I think it's a different variation of that. I'm going to call this superhuman Leslie, where yeah. when you see everything that she can do, it's 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 nearly superhuman. Like it, it's to that degree, how it, how much work she can put into something like it would take 10 people to do what she does. So I said the trope of superhuman Leslie goes towards how nuts and over the top she went with her gifts for Galentine's day. Cause like all yeah. the work she put into that, Holy cow. Yeah. Using and, the soda and, and, bottles to make pictures. Yeah. Oh, I love that one. Yeah. There's yeah. some, there's some great soda bottle art there. <laughs> You'll have to see if we can get that posted on the website. Um, but you know, I thought there was a little bit of superhuman Leslie too, in the, in terms of she's on this road show, you know, uh, doing the Bing Crosby, uh, Danny K roadshow thing there, or Bob Hope uh, with Justin trying to, you know, bring Frank back. And yet she pulls off this elaborate party at the senior center because she's basically assigned everybody all these jobs and they get done and the party goes off without a hitch. See, now, you know what? While I agree with that, I also think that's kind of a deviation from how Leslie typically is. Not I that agree. not that she's unable to delegate, but because she is such a workhorse. Yeah, that's a great point. Often she does a lot of it herself. So, yes, but it was also kind of a, a rare moment. Yeah, no, great point. Um, you know, Mark, this week, because it's there was this real theme toward the end of the episode, ironically, where the party's ending, relationships are ending. And I, I you know, we've been, we've been doing first for a while. I thought this week we would just probably just for this week do a lasts bum, as bum, well. Bum. Okay, yeah. what you got? Yeah. So there, there, this is a pretty obvious list, frankly, but. You know, we've got Justin. This is Justin's fourth of four episodes and we won't see him again. See you ya, know. suck down. See ya, buddy. Um, ironically, Justin Thoreau is actually about to start in a new Apple show I'm looking forward to called Mosquito Coast. Uh, if you ever saw the Harrison Ford movie, this is like the serialized version of that, apparently. So it looks huh. pretty good. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, a last for Frank first and a last, I suppose. Yep. Um, and a last Ben and Derek. I I can't remember. I they may come back for something just as a slight off cameo, but I think it's the last major episode they're in. I, I think that you're right. I think that we have some other kind of oddball friends of April's that, that show up routinely on camera, but I don't think yes. it's them. Right. I think, I think we'll see Oren here not too long from now. Yep. <laughs> I love Oren. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, Ben and Derek. Yeah. And you know what? Good for April. I, I was and we can talk more about that in a minute. But yeah. Yeah. Agreed. I, I didn't have any goofs. I did have a couple interesting fun facts. If you got a second for the a couple of those. Yeah, go for it. 
So, you know, there's the point here where um, Amy Poehler has got this talking head, uh, you know, Leslie has a talking head and she's talking about, you know, the, the list of, an, of people who need to be happy in relationships. And she ends up saying, you know, stay away from John Mayer, um, which was pretty fun about J Jennifer Aniston, which is funny because a year later they started dating and Justin Thoreau, not Justin, the character, of course. Um, and they were married for four years after that. Yeah. Isn't that fun? Hmm. Yeah. So I thought that was a fun one. Um, in the background at Frank's house, and I did not see this personally, I'm going to go back and clock it myself now, but so I, I, someone had written this one down. There are uh, uh, numerous post-its or numerous notes written on the chalkboard. One of them says, check the gas before bed. <laughs> and the other one is even better. It says, find the parrot. <laughs> kind of vague, huh? Yeah. So, so Frank is a little bit of a loon. I think you hit the nail on the head there. Wow. That's interesting. Yeah. yeah I would love to have some, if someone has compiled a list of all the notes and stuff, all the, oh, the, the crap he background. has around his wall. Yeah. I did. Yeah. And they probably had a lot of fun doing that. No, I guarantee it. I actually had one other fun fact. Um, What'd you got at the senior center when uh, when Frank got up on the stage and got on the mic and tells, you know, Marlene that, you know, you blew it. He, yeah. he made a reference to a recurring gag that was originally in the great show Arrested Development. When after being rejected, he announced to Marlene, quote, take one last look because you'll never see this body again. Yeah. So. Yeah, just kind of fun. Terrific. Yeah. You got to love it. You got to love it when, uh, you know, one sitcom gives another sitcom a little bit of love because they're obviously fans of that show as well. Oh, no doubt. Completely. Yeah. You know, there's another Frank, uh, you know, fun fact here, and I'm about done with my list. But, you know, there's that point where, you know, Leslie asked him what he's been up to for 45 years. And, you know, he said he thought about going to law school and, oh, did you become a lawyer? No, but I, you know, I did represent myself once. Well, you know, famously, you know, Frank played by John Larroquette, who's a great guest star here. And there's a huge list of guest stars in this episode, by the way. Um, but, you know, he was he played a lawyer on the amazing TV show Night, Night Court. Court. Yep. Yep. And that's kind of where he, he became famous. Yeah. Um, and actually, he played another lawyer in another show that I believe is the sister show of this show, which is The West Wing. Um, mm. You know, we've talked about the similarities, not only in terms of politics, but in, you know, the the, the loving, um, you know, kind of recreations we've seen here with the walking head and those kind of things. Just uh, the little tributes to the West Wing. He played uh, council, White House counsel Lionel Tribby on the West Wing for about two seasons as well. Nice. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. I love uh, I love the great sitcom. Uh, very underrated Night Court uh, where he played uh, prosecutor Dan Fielding. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yep. Yeah, it's, it's, it might be time for a slightly rewatch of that show. It's been a while. Mm, late to the party. Yep. Yeah, there you go. You know, last one I had, Mark, was, and again, this is, I think, another, like the rest of development little mini tribute you mentioned. I think this one was an homage to The Office. You know, Anne basically has bought these gifts for Mark, basically saying, you know, she got him some towels because she thought he was using a bathrobe as a towel. Yeah. Well, if you remember the office episode, Women's Appreciation, you know, there, Pam's there at the Victoria's Secret, you know, at Michael's, you know, um, expense. He's gifting out these things for, you know, getting advice from all of his lady friends at the office. 
And she says, you know, she's not really dating anybody right now. So she might just get a bathrobe and cut it up into some towels. <laughs> nice. So I thought that was what intended or not. I got to believe it might be with Mike Schur and Greg Daniels being, you know, functionally, you know, part of both shows. <laughs> I agree. I think that's a high likelihood. Yeah. So that about does it for me. Anything we missed? No, I think we should get on to scoring this sucker. All right. Well, let's do this. Um, Constantine told me you insist on going first this week. I don't I don't know why. I, I do. Uh, I sometimes I just like to tell him stuff and see if he carries out my will. So, you know. Well, he willed it to be today. All right. So why don't you go first, Mark? All right. So as, as part of coming up with my score and my my awesome, awesome rubric, which everyone loves. Um, yeah, I, I looked at all the characters and kind of took some notes as far as like what I think about them in general. So here's my thoughts. For Leslie, there's some great, I thought, character development in this episode, starting with the introduction, of course, of a fake holiday phenomenon, easily ranking up there with Friendsgiving, Slapsgiving, Festivus, you know, it, it rubs shoulders with the best of them. Um, <coughs> excuse me. Sorry. Um, Galentine's Day, I think, represents the best parts of Leslie. Sweet, thoughtful, smart, hardworking, and fiercely loyal. And, and I also want to give her props for figuring out her disenchantment with Justin, because that, that is kind of a, a, a not necessarily real clear path. So good for her for figuring that out. Yep. Um, for Ron, Ron actually wasn't in this episode very much, but tremendously effective when he was. Sometimes I feel like this is the best way to use Ron, you know, sparingly, but intelligently so that when he is on scene, and he does or says something, it's like thunder, you know? Yeah. You know, his his tourist scene with with Leslie that we played the clip of is, is easily one of my top 10 favorite Parks and Rec moments of all times. It's, yeah. it's, it's really iconic. And we, we've actually, I think we've talked about it before. Tom, hmm. you know, I was never a huge fan of Tom trying to woo post-divorce Wendy. Um, mm -hmm. Having said mm -hmm. that, it's not a bad storyline. I like I get why they included it on a Valentine's Day inspired episode. OK, but I thought that Tom was kind of a jerk. Like he certainly didn't come across very well, you know? No, I mean, it's pretty, pretty greasy method of trying to get her back. So I miss those vulnerable Tom moments that kind of gives his character a little bit more depth. And quite frankly, I really thought this episode could have used some of those instead of him acting like. Tom, which is often an unfortunate yeah. thing when he's trying to romance yeah. someone. Tom capital T. <clears throat> right. Yeah. Furthermore, what the heck actually happened between Tom and Wendy? Like one moment, I tell you, I, Alan, I thought she was going to kick his ass. And then the next we see them hugging in the background with no audio and we never get any clarity. We don't know what the hell happened there. So I, I'm shaking my head at that. There's one deleted scene about Tom talking a little bit about his plan, then kind of going, oh, God, this is a terrible plan. But it it doesn't help. It doesn't fill in any gaps. We don't still don't have any idea. So, you know, if there was a scene that they had scripted for that, it didn't even make it to deleted scenes. Wow. Boo, Parks and Rec. Boo. Yeah. yeah. All right. One of the rare boos, because I love them. Um, That's right. For Mark, you know. As I've said before, I feel like Mark is getting better and better as season two goes forward. I like his character more and more. You know, it, it's clear he's into Anne and his lack of confidence. Eh, it could be construed as a bit charming if he could just pull it back a little bit. But yeah. Yeah. Um, 
It's a good point. For Anne, we're getting more and more signals that perhaps perhaps not as all perfect in Anne world, at least where Mark is concerned. You know, first we have Anne saving uh, Justin and now damning with faint praise by saying, yes, on paper, we're pretty great. So, you know, yikes. I, I thought Regina, Rashida Jones did a good job with their interactions with April and Andy there in that little triangle we talked about and making the audience yeah. uh, very delightfully uncomfortable. That's um, right. <clears throat> Andy, I loved him and Mouse Rat getting a chance to once again strut their stuff on stage. I don't think we've seen anything like that since Rock Show, uh, the, the season finale of season one. Yeah, you're right. Uh, they were actually pretty good. Um, I loved it. As I said before, I love sweet, fun-loving goofball Andy. And that's what this episode, I feel like, provided. You know, Andy's Andy's interactions with Anne seemed to be pretty innocent, as far as I could tell. You know, he and he seemed to be a little bit into April. So, you know what? Bing! I'm hugely in favor of this character arc. All thumbs up. Um for April, this was a great episode to demonstrate her growing up. Kudos to April. I like how she has grown into someone who genuinely prefers someone fun and nice and growing out of needing to be biting and snarky and mocking all the time. Um, I thought this was epitomized. Actually, I thought this was epitomized not by her breaking up with Derek and Ben, but by her taking the moment to go up to the old couple and tell them legitimately how adorable they were and meaning it. That's good stuff. That was, um, so semi complaint, not a lot of Donna and Jerry, they were background characters. They weren't really used much here. Okay. So you know what? A little ding for that. Jerry was used arguably a little bit more than Donna because we had a a PBJ uh, moment, but, yeah, you know, it is what it is. We had a lot of guest stars, right? We did have um, a lot of guest stars. So, Alan, so my scoring, you know, in a lot of ways, this episode is kind of the this episode is kind of the opposite of Leslie's house, which we did two episodes ago, because with that one, I was conflicted because all the LOL <laughs> moments that it had made me want to rate it super high. But yeah. the, the moments didn't gel together that well, nor was the plot that riveting. So I scored it meh, a bit lower. I feel like this episode in some ways is the opposite, meaning from a storytelling and plot perspective, I thought this was great. Fantastic character interactions that moved the plot along. I didn't think that there were a ton of LOL moments. Yeah. But I did think that there were a lot of good moments. So go ahead. No, I was just going to agree that I feel like it, it was heavy on the heart and low on the laughs. And it still had some laughs, but for them, for them, it was yeah, low on the for laugh. them, yeah. for their standard. Yeah, right. I agree. Yep. Good call. So, so the mark score here to, to represent what I just said, this may not come as a surprise then for a base score. I'm going to give this a five great storylines, plot advancement, character interactions. They really, really, really did a good job here. Um, I'm going to give him half a point for, in general, good writing and use of most of the bench, Donna and Jerry excluded. Meh, they still did a decent job with everyone else. So I'll give them a little bit. Um, I'm going to give half a point for the return of Mouse Rat. Love that. I'm going to give a full point for ending the Justin and the Threpple plot lines so well in a respectful way, I think. Um, I'm going to give a full point for Galentine's Day just because that's so freaking awesome. Yeah, it is going to mention. I'm going to give a whole point 
for Ron's iconic tourist scene. I love it that much. So, wow. so adding up all this, all the scores were at nine, but I have a detraction. Uh-oh. I'm going to subtract half a point for leaving us in freaking limbo as far as what the heck happened with Tom and Wendy. I mean, it, it's, this would be much more in a sense forgivable for a show that's just not as sharp and, and, and crisp and well-written as Parks and Rec is, but, but they're so good at tying up and keeping all the other plot lines going. I just feel like they kind of dropped the ball with this and it bugged me. So guys, you did an awesome job. I'm going to I'm a half point uh, detraction. So that's going to take it down to my final score, eight and a half little Sebastian, still an awesome episode. Very iconic. Um, just short of, of all time high, still a great episode back to you, Alan. Okay. All right. Well, that's going to be a hard act to follow. Um, so yeah, I'm going to give it seven and a half. All right. Goodbye, everybody. See you next week. We'll be back. No, no. all right. All right. Fair enough. I will explain myself. Constantine, the, the score, hold him down. <laughs> the score is real though. No, right. no, you Here, don't. No, yeah, no. Sorry. Here's where I'm going to start. Death stars. Here we go. You ready for this? I leave. I give up. Yeah. Justin Thoreau, right? Yeah. Pamela Reed, John Larroquette, Jamie Williamson, Blake Lee, Josh Duvendeck, Andy Forrest, uh, then a bunch of other people who were probably not as important. I think, you know, some of the guests at at Galentine's Day, there are three of those. Um, uh, Andrew Berlinson and Alan Yang and Mark Rivers from Mouse Rat. So by the time you add all these people in, I think the the call sheet for this episode had to be like, I don't know, two, two and a half pages long. Um, so in, in some ways, there's just a lot of screen real estate eaten up by guest stars. Uh, we've seen worse, right? I mean, we definitely Sister City, you know, one of the extremes, you know, because yeah. you really had a couple guest stars and Fred Armisen really got almost all of the screen time <laughs> from everyone, including you know, the cast regulars. Right. So it wasn't that extreme, but there was just a lot going on visually in this episode. And I, I felt like the division between the primary storyline and any secondary storylines was such a weird blurry line this week. And we talked about that a little bit. I mean, you saw that in your, your kind of your synopsis right. that, you know, that was a little bit hard to define this week. Um, so I guess what I'm building here is a list of kind of complaints. Um, I mean, a little Jerry in terms of punching bag, almost no Donna. I'm not sure. Did she even get a word in? I'm not sure. Maybe, maybe two. She may not have gotten a word in. She was in a few background scenes though. Yeah. Yeah. Um, You know, and I think that can be forgiven for a while, but we are almost two thirds of the way into season two and that's still the case. So I'm starting to get a little freaking annoyed by it. Um, and there's only been, there've been rare exceptions to it. So I'm just going to say that, um, I felt like the Tom storyline was kind of icky. Like I, I'm like you, I felt like he just stooped awfully low there to win Wendy back. And, you know, he, he not only ignored good advice from other people about, you know, just be yourself over and over, but he went to another extreme where he, you know, she's, she's not a lawyer, but she's a doctor. She's a professional and he's going to blackmail her to get alimony that so that he can really just get a date with her. I don't know that eh, felt like lazy writing to me. I'm just going to say it. I was a little disappointed by that. Yeah. I was a little annoyed with Anne in this episode too. Normally they're foundational rock, 
Um, I felt it was a little, maybe not weird in real life, but I guess I was also disappointed to see her flirting a little bit with Andy um, immediately after she's starting to realize that this thing with Mark may not be for the long haul. That's the way I interpreted what went down here. Hmm. And I, I kind of thought, I don't care for that very much. I resent that a little bit, um, you know, and, and I hate, to, I'm not usually the first person to come to the Mark Brandana what's defense, but you know, all he really did wrong here was kind of second guess himself. And, you know, she's ready to kind of go back to an old boyfriend who can barely hold down a job. I don't know. And of course that's extreme. That's not what happened. And, you know, not that she even indicated that she would go that far, but she was definitely caught off guard when she saw that something was up between April and Andy. That was true. I mean, it's, you can't argue against that. I guess not. I guess I would agree with that. <laughs> I see you want to argue with that, but I'm not going to let you. I'm going to keep going. Um, I felt like that that's probably the end of my complaint list, I guess. And, and I thought I like John Larroquette a lot. Um, he, he's got a certain type of humor that I think was perfect casting here for him as Frank. Yeah, agreed. And yet I just didn't find him all that funny. Yeah. I, I wish I had, um, but I don't know if it was just a little cliched in terms of how they wrote it. Um, it didn't have to be cause it was a little bit interesting, you know, putting, trying to, you know, this stunt of Justin's of putting these two people back together after 40 years, um, mostly so you can tell stories about it, which was right on track for Justin. So, you know, in lots of ways, I'm glad that things are ending. I'm glad that Leslie and Justin are pretty much done. I'm glad that April has moved on from Ben and Derek who are, you know, going to allow her to spread her wings a little bit and be a better person. Um, so there's a lot of good things that happened in this episode. I felt like it was in balance with some of the stuff that was annoying about the, that I've already mentioned, though. So for me, I think it could have landed, you know, plus or minus a couple of those things or tune them down a little bit. And, and I might have been at an eight or maybe an eight and a half, although that feels pretty high for me for this episode. Um, I think I knew within the first few minutes of this episode that I was going to be in the sevens and I might have gone lower at one point. Hmm. But there was enough positive here. And you, you pointed out with great example what some of those were. I think the biggest, like you said, was probably Ron. Um, I just love that series of dialogue there. He's a tourist. He vacations in people's lives, takes pictures, puts them in a scrapbook and moves on. All he's interested in are stories. And I think everyone's kind of met somebody a little bit like that, where they're not interested in forming deep relationships. It's very superficial. Um, he's kind of a life of the party, but there's no real meat and substance there, um, for most of his relationships. So, um, I don't, I won't miss him. And I think Leslie's going to be better off without him. So seven and a half, huh? Seven and a half. All right. There it is. Well, I, I have two thoughts other than you're wrong. I have two thoughts yeah. that I wanted to yeah, share. Of course. Um, yeah. <clears throat> no, I, 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 I agree with, with most of your reasoning. I think I didn't, uh, I didn't view Anne's actions as quite as extreme as you did, but I understand how it could be interpreted as that. So I, well, it happened to me once when I was in my college band. So, you know, I immediately took it personally. Well, you know, I, all right. Now, now we know. Now we get a little bit into your psyche there. <laughs> um, you know what? So two things. First of all, you mentioned John Larroquette. I, I agree with you. I love John Larroquette. Uh, I, I've loved him ever since Night Court. Um, I'm going to 
disagree in a sense that even though I love him as an actor, I don't think he was the right casting for this. And I'll tell you why, because Hmm. if John Larroquette had, if they had written a character for him where he was going to be around, let's even say two episodes. So, so give him a little bit of substance, give him a little bit of meat, maybe give his personality a little bit of, of depth, a little bit of interest. He can deliver that in spades. I have no doubt, but what they really wanted is someone that, Hey, we found you come back with us. Hey, you're kind of crazy. And, and not that he can't do that, but I just feel like his talents are wasted doing that. Like imagine if they got, you know, who would have been been just fine just because very limited uh, scope is like, if they had gotten Bobcat Goldthwait and they brought him back, you know what? He gets the point across. He's crazy, which is what they wanted to do there. And, and yeah, and I like Bobcat for what it is. I mean, it, he is what he is, you know, but but it's just I feel like John Larroquette is killing a mouse with an elephant gun there. So I feel like he was a little bit wasted. OK, um, I, I, I support that. And the other thing is that, you know, like you, I knew that this episode was coming up and that I was not going to like Justin very much. And, and I kept on trying to just see little signs of him not being likable up to this point. And I really had a hard time. Like, he seemed like an interesting guy and. And he was attentive and, 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 and nice and, and funny. And so it was really hard for me to pinpoint it. But yet now looking back, I think I realized what was missing. And I think you kind of, you kind of walked around it here at the very end. He, we missed the things from him that Mark did for Ann. That is the sweet stuff. You know, like we mm-hmm. saw Justin having dinners with Leslie where he would be uh funny and engaging and, and, and where he would make her smile and laugh, which it can be very important things, of course, but of you, course. Did, you didn't have any moments where he was just like cuddling and kissing with her, you know, and just like really being sweet, which if, if we had seen yeah. that, I would have thought, Oh, he's serious, but we didn't, yeah. you know, he's always on. He's that's just it. He's always on. And, yeah. and therefore you, there's always a little bit of a facade because I feel like you can't yep. get to know who a person is until you can see them power off and go, okay, this is really who I am <laughs> when I don't have everything you know, like electricity flowing through me. Yeah. My style is more about having trouble getting powered on. So for someone who's always on and can't power down, they're really hard for me to relate to. Oh, I don't like that. I agree. Um, <laughs> so yeah, I, I, I like your reasoning. Um, I, I, and again, you know, I think that you and I have never differed by more than a point. So, meh, that, that, yeah. that, that's I mean, fair. we can always agree to disagree here. And, and you know, I'm, I'm right and you're wrong. Yeah, uh, we'll see. I, I, I think we should let the audience decide. I agree. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Hosts at live from That's right. I'd love to hear from you. I'd love to hear how seven and a half is the correct score. And that Mark is just super generous and uh, naive. Right. And when you write in, please write in with the subject line. Alan is wrong. (laughs) All right. Well, we'll have Constantine tally those up. That's right. And get back to you. That's That's right. right. All right. All right. Well, I think that about wraps it up for this week. Next week, we'll be back with the episode Woman of the Year. And I'm actually really looking forward to that one. I don't want to give too much away. Yeah, I am too. It's going to be a good one. All right. Well, thanks for listening, everybody. And we look forward to seeing you next week. All right. Bye, everyone. Bye, everyone. 
Live from Pawnee is a copyrighted production of the creators. Copyright 2020. All rights reserved. Original music was created and performed by Aaron Emerson of Emerson Studios. Clips are used under fair use doctrine for the purpose of commentary and parody. Please see our website at livefrompawnee.com for more details or to contact us.